Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview consciousness center entrepreneurs about their journey from warrior to commander to king. We'll deconstruct their mindset, mental models, actionable tactics, so you can take everything you learn and build your life with more impact and fulfillment. If you have any friends who can use better mindset, please share it with them so they too can benefit from your discovery. My next guest is Chris Voss. He's the best-selling author of Never Split the Difference. So far, he has sold 1 million copies worldwide. He is the most popular course instructor at masterclass.com. He's also a former lead international hostage negotiator at the FBI. He's now the CEO and founder at the Black Swan Group. We talked about how he discovered tactical empathy as a superior negotiation method after dealing with cutthroat commodity dealers and why hammering his opponent with empathy got him better deals. How his mindset around negotiation is fundamentally different than most people, and why it's better. And how you maintain positive, even after dealing with terrorists for 25 years. How tone is the single most undervalued superpower when it comes to negotiation. And how practice is the path to mastery, even for something as esoteric as a cold read or tonality. Lastly, we talked about Chris's morning rituals to set his day up for success in his Project 120 to stay healthy at age 120. Please enjoy my conversation with former FBI lead international hostage negotiator, Chris Voss. Please welcome Chris Voss. Thank you, CK. Pleasure to be here with you today. I am so excited. <clears throat> Don't know through my research. I mean, I knew you from our uh, men's group together. You're like metal with Ken Rutkowski. Yeah, that's right. That's a great guy. You're a likable guy. I know that I really like you. I know that you're a practitioner of your work. But through my own research and really diving deeper into the work that you do, I, I now get your context of why you do what you do. So the first question I want to ask you is this. Universally, people, when they hear that I'm going to be talking to you, their response is, I love Chris. I love that book. So the question I have for you is, how are you able to maintain this brightness, this positivity, this kindness and generosity after 25 years of dealing with bad, bad guys all over the world? <laughs> you know, I um, general work ethic, uh, core value, which we use in my company today, part of it is, you know, have fun where you work, work with hardworking people that are team players. I mean, I've always really enjoyed the people that I was around and it's been a thread through, through my whole life. You know, hardworking, fun people. It's a short answer and doing good. I mean, we can, and realizing you can't be perfect. I mean, not, not everything is going to work out. You pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you move on. You, you just get smarter. I guess I asked that question, not in a leading way, but I'm so curious because it's easy to become cynical or embitter, especially you're a master, you're a student of human nature. It's easy to go down that path of like, oh, people are just going to be shitty or whatever, but yet you're still so positive and kind and generous with every interaction that we have, when even there's no audience. 
I'm like just in awe about how you're able to do that. Yeah, you know, I pro probably even more so over the last couple of years. You know, we focus intensely on getting better every day. I mean, we're basically op optimistic and you realize you're, you realize you're not going to be perfect. So, you know, it's, it's an abundant world. And, and the other thing, too, we've been my company, you know, we've we pivoted in the pandemic really easily. Because we're we run the operation on something called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, taught to us by a, a guy who's become a very good friend, John Smith. And, you know, he got us really focused on our core values in the very beginning. And, you know, my son and I run a company, you know, with my daughter-in-law. And we were like, core values, work hard. You know, what do you got? How are you going to figure that out? He's like, no, 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 it's more, it's more complicated than that. And then he said, also, when, you, when things don't work out with employees, with customers, with clients, with anybody in life, there's going to be a core value mismatch. Now, that's no good or no bad on anybody, you know, because your core values are different from theirs doesn't make them any better or worse. So as soon as, soon as you take the better or worse out, it's actually a lot easier to be optimistic because, you, you know, you're not as mad at people as much. You know, somebody doesn't work out in a company. It's not good or bad on him or us. It just didn't work it out. Personal relationship doesn't work out. It's not good or bad on anybody. It just didn't work out. We, you know, we weren't a good fit. We weren't meant to be working together. And I think that helps keep you from being jaded. So, so one of my favorite moments in your masterclass is when you're trying to describe the importance of tone. You're like, oh, it, this, this is not a good deal for us. This is not a good deal for us or, you know, some kind of a way. And then you essentially were trying to underline the lessons of tone because tone reveals your inner voice. And right. in that class, you said, oh, you're such an idiot. And that, that actually made me laugh out loud. You said this in the master class a couple of times. So that made me laugh out loud because that's how I talk. <laughs> that reveals my true intention. So, uh, so I'm curious, for someone like me who may have a, mon a monotone or robotic voice, um, is there anything that I could do to practice to be better at um tactically using my tonality so that you know i could interact with people better yeah you know that's a great question i mean and tone is a superpower tone tone may be the single most overlooked superpower out there I mean, you could do so much with tone uh and yeah, yeah among the books that uh, we're a fan of the talent code by daniel coyle coyle contends that everything is learned you know, you originally asked me, is there anything I could do about my tone? Yeah, your tone is learned. Everything is learned. You know, I'm not, you can't learn to be seven feet tall. You know, I can't learn to be, you know, my son is 6'3", 325 pounds. I can't Whoa. learn to be as big as he is. But pretty much everything else uh, is learned. So, yeah, you know, you practice your tone. I, you know, if I listen to my tone, because of the way I'm wired, I can hear my voice. Uh, if I, if I open up that part of my brain, but it's, it's practice, you know, small stakes practice for high stakes result. As soon as you start paying attention to your tone at all, it will immediately improve. And then, um, uh, I think his name is John Foley, 
Blue Angel pilot. I heard him speak a couple years ago. He was talking about how long does it take to build a skill? He called it wiring a groove in your brain. Because the Blue Angels, you know, they can't they can't build their skills the first time they get up in the air with each other. They'll all be dead. They got to build their skills on the ground before they actually get into planes. And he said, uh, according to his data, that, uh, you know, 63, 64, 65 repetitions, which translates anecdotally into most people say it takes three weeks to pick up a skill. Well, if you're trying three, four times a day to work on something, eh, it's going to take about three weeks to get those 65 repetitions in. So just, you know, practice your tone a little. Where people really go down on tone of voice is they replay conversations in their head and they replay them or they envision them getting angry. Like, I wish I'd have said this. You're such an idiot. <laughs> you know, or, you know, I, I kicked into the Jill Biden thing recently on my Instagram. And uh, a lot of people that are pro-Trump, pro-Republican, they immediately shoot back. Well, what about the way Melania was treated? Uh, and they're seeing themselves saying in that tone of voice. I mean, you could say the same thing and say, what about the way Melania was treated? You know, and that would land. So you can you could go back and you can rewire how you play in your head and you can you can build your skills by yourself if you want to. Well, I guess I'm I'm gonna drill in on that just a bit because you you interact with terrorists and people, you know, who maybe just you simply don't agree with or they're their their line of thinking. So Yeah. you may be logically questioning like, wow, this, this guy sounds pretty insane, but you had to tactically maintain your tone so that you can have that relationship. And similarly, right, let's say a political candidate, you don't agree with them or whatever. How do you still maintain that tone? I guess that's that's where I'm trying to get at. Like, how do you maintain? We practiced. <laughs> I mean, we literally practiced. I mean, I'm not going to. You know, as a hostage negotiator, it's insane to think that the first time I should practice negotiating should be in a live event with an actual Al-Qaeda terrorist. I mean, that's, that sounds silly when you put it like that. So, yeah, we practiced. I mean, we got, we got some role, role play practice. You know, I got, I got a lot of live action practice on suicide hotlines. Now, I stumbled into the tone, I think, because I was scared and nervous initially. Like the first time you're on a hotline, you're going to take some calls supervised. Yeah. So the first, you know, and because they make sure that <laughs> if you start yelling at the guy that called in, they're going to they're gonna disconnect the line if you lose control. And the first time I was on the phone, I, I don't know, I guess maybe because I was so tentative. I mean, I naturally did the late night FM DJ voice. And I got off the phone and they were like, wow, your tone of voice was great. And I was oh. like, wow, really? What What did I do? <laughs> and I just tried to duplicate it again. And everybody commented on how good the tone was. Mm. So I just became aware of it and I intentionally practiced it. You got to get your practice in. Nobody, you know, nobody does any good. Michael Jordan, you know, LeBron James, anybody pick pick up an athlete. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is out on uh, the driving range. He's out on the practice uh, greens. <laughs> he ain't trying to win the Masters 
with that being the first time this month that he picked up his clubs. So what kind of, cause I know that you like to play games as a way to practice, right? You said, you, uh, I'm kind of alluding to the hotels, you know, negotiation thing you said within your, oh, country, that's real life practice. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have practice as, as a student to make it more fun. What are some of the other, you know, ways to ritualize and practice and continue to practice, uh, the whole skills of negotiation? Yeah, well, you know, anybody you encounter, there's something we call a, a cold read. You take a look at their face, read gas, do a swag. Swag is a scientific wild-ass guess. You know, guess what emotion's going through their brain. And then when you walk up to them, if they look happy, say, pretty good day, huh? Or if they look unhappy, say, tough day or anybody, you know, your Uber driver, Uber driver gets in. I mean, you got it. You got a good read your Uber, your Lyft driver. Right? These days I'm in Lyft more. I'm in Uber. You got a good read on that guy based on guy or gal based on where they parked. You know, do they park right in front of you. You know, do they park 10 feet away from you. You know, you got tons of data on their mindset. As soon as you get in that car, they, if they don't turn around, uh, their tone of voice when they ask, you know, are you Chris? You, you know, take a read and, and make a make a wild guess. And say it in a nice way. And which gives you all the latitude you need to be wrong. And every time you make a guess, you're going to get feedback on how good your guess was. Then the next time you're going to be even better. You know, just practice starbucks wherever you are some somebody on a phone call customer service <laughs> for your phone company and uh you know what would you guess you guess that the last person from customer service the last customer they spoke to probably yelled at him <laughs> so call in and say i bet it's been a long day in there you know practice yeah, I mean, uh, I wanted to push the the book a bit um, for any of you who haven't actually read the book. One of the things I I particularly because I I don't know if you can tell I'm a super cerebral heady guy. I like mental models. That gives me something tangible that I can try on versus just hey, re human beings, and that's it's, it's yeah, it's too esoteric for me. But what you provide in the book specifically, you. Uh, two things that actually uh, really stood out for me is how do you actually say no in a nice way? And then how do you do it, you know, in an in, um, increasingly more assertive way as well? Right. As yeah, you got to be able to say no. I mean, you got to be able to say and say it nicely. And, you know, there are negotiators out there to train that they're, not, they're tr literally trained to hammer you till you said no twice. So they're going to make you say no. So, you know, Say it sooner. <laughs> yeah. What, one thing that you say in the book is no is a, a place where negotiation starts. Right. That depends upon whether or not you're saying it or hearing it. And that's the other reason to say it in a nice way. Like the way, you know, as, as I'm, you know, you're well aware of because you read the book and it's the opening story in the book. You know, when we express no by saying, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, that, that's really trying to reset negotiations. It's expressing no gently, but it's saying that you're open to a better idea. 
if they got a better idea, why wouldn't you take it? So, and you should always, there's almost always better ideas anyway. It's impossible to know everything. So yeah, you say it gently and it, it, uh, the beginning of the conversation or the reset of the conversation, let's take off in another direction. Let's find some good stuff here. Yeah. So I, I really love that you, instead of making negotiation an adversarial relationship, you made it a point with every single interaction that I have with you to say that, hey, negotiation is actually a process of discovery, a process of collaboration. Now, was there a mental model shift? Was there, was there a moment where the old school way of trying to bulldoze people, trying to cut their throat, by going as strong as possible. Was there a mental shift in your mind at some point, something happened that actually have you move from, you know, being aggressive, being forceful to being collaborative? Yeah, well, you know, principally, I think, you know, my background getting into hostage negotiation, I got into it first on a crisis hotline, which is, you know, emotional intelligence. That's all it is. It's just, a, it's a masterclass on emotional intelligence. People react, uh, under pressure under with the same criteria that they when they're not under pressure everything is emotional it just is i mean we i know some people hate it. a lot of people hate hearing that but it just is i mean the the neuroscience is unequivocal and my pronunciation is bad but it's it's clear everything is emotional so then i got into kidnap negotiations which is straight bargaining now i had such a background in empathy, which we now refer to as tactical empathy, I thought, you know, let's let's just drop a lot more empathy into this bare knuckle, vicious bargain with commodities dealers on the other side that were cutthroats and killers. You know, the definition of a sociopathic commodity dealer. You know, let's hammer them with empathy and see what happens. And we started just changing everything. Just every, we got better deals, if you would. You know, we got them. We got them quicker. And we created. You know, the process of being less adversarial accelerated better and faster results. And so it was really in a time set. It probably was the first international kidnapping that I weighed into with both feet. To, the shilling kidnapping in the Philippines, which we talk about in the book. Uh, people on the other side, sociopathic terrorists, you know, murder and rape and killers. And if you can imagine a phrase, we hammered them with empathy and completely had the upper hand the whole time and a hostage walked away. Was there a sort of a, a failure of their old model? that have you reinforced this model even more? Was there a time that you can recall like, hey, the old model is, you know, totally disastrous, totally failed, and like I gotta shift my way of looking at it and then the lessons is now this new model that you created? Well, we, you know, we had, we had a failure, but it's, you know, the failure was while we were in the adaptation. You know, the old models don't always fail. I mean, uh, improvement is not always obvious. You know, uh, Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that good failed you. You know, mm -hmm. the real problem with getting to the next level is you're probably doing pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you're doing well and compared to how you were doing. Like, I'm very much against aggressive negotiation, you know, very much in favor of assertive negotiation, not the same thing. But people who are passive and too agreeable and rolling over and getting killed, the minute they go to a aggressive negotiation, their results are better. And they're like, hey, this is great. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't realize that they gra- they just graduated from an, an F grade to a C grade because that's an astonishing increase in improvement to go from an F to a C. But they have no idea that there's a B grade or an A grade or an A plus grade. So their model doesn't fail, but they stop improving. And so, you know, I don't know that the old model ever actually failed us. Now, I will tell you right after the Schilling case, we had another case that ended in a train wreck disaster. And, I, you know, it, the model didn't fail us, but we had to get better. You know, we were probably B minus, B grade at that point in time. And I, we took internal stock. We did an after action. I talked to everybody. And they said, no, nah, just this, what, what we know wasn't enough. It was inadequate. And my response was, and that's why how I ended up at Harvard. Like, well, if it's inadequate, let's see what we can do to get better. And that's when we really started to collaborate with Harvard. Mm. So if I'm hearing you right, it's not necessarily... It's just basically picking up different tools in your toolkit. And now you have a more range and then now you can pull out different tools based on what the situation requires. Is that, is that an accurate reason? Yeah, I think, I, think that's a, I think that's a definite part of it. I mean, you're, you know, you're looking for additional tools. You're in, in point of fact, you're always looking to get better. Like one of our, our coaches, we coach a lot of negotiations. Derek Gaunt likes to say, Derek says, just get one degree better. One degree. You know, if water gets one degree warmer, you know, you don't really notice, but suddenly bang, at some point, it, there's a sudden state change where it turns to steam, but you got that a little bit at a time. So instead of quantum improvement in a day, just get a little bit better. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, basically your message is practice every day every human interaction yeah. that, that you have and negotiation is a skill set that you can pick up. It's like going to the gym, right? You go to the gym, you exercise your muscles and you get stronger over time. Nice. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I want to hone in on like tactically, are there, I don't know. I know you have a master class. I don't know if you have a Facebook group. I don't know if you have like a group coaching program type things where people can just immerse themselves in really intentional and getting better at negotiation skills and, you know, this life skill that's so important. Is there anything well, like that you see that you come across? Yeah, you, you can immerse yourself in different ways. First of all, you know, so subscribe to our newsletter. Our newsletter is, is complimentary. It comes out on Tuesday mornings. It's concise. You know, the thing that makes it even more valuable than the fact that it's free is the fact that it's actionable and it's concise. I mean, every day I get the daily 10-point briefing from the Wall Street Journal. Like, if I don't have a half an hour, 45 minutes to go through that baby, and then I need 15 to 20 minutes afterwards to absorb it, I ain't doing it. I need an hour for that. 
it's not that concise and actionable. It's good information, but there's too much there. Our newsletter is concise. I mean, you're going to get through it in just a few minutes. 750 words may be actionable. Implement it today. So that's part of your immersion, if you will. And by the way, the uh, best way to subscribe to the newsletter, if I may, is uh, we got a text to sign up function. The number you text to is 33777. That's 33777. The message you send to 33777 is black swan method. Three words, lowercase, spaces between the words. You get a text back asking for your email. We'll sign you up. We got a lot of free stuff. Take the free stuff. Now, there are Facebook groups, and there's actually, and I haven't seen it on uh, Slack. I think there's a Slack group mm. that one of, one of the people that's huge into our stuff. There have been some communities that have sprung up uh, on their own because the stuff is so powerful. And then you get to practice with people who are like-minded. And that's a really cool thing when, when you know, the culture's beginning to spring up on its own. Uh, we nurtured it, but we, we didn't, you know, we didn't have to grow it. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, I mean, <laughs> so it's my impression of interacting with you is, you know, you give, you summarize like lifetimes, decades of real on the field practices into something that's really easy to practice and operationalize, you know, and that's, that, that to me is, is really, really precious. Yeah. We're, yeah. We, we work on making it usable. So one thing that, that I'm very curious about is you had said it, I think in your book or somewhere, the ultimate negotiator uh, is Oprah Winfrey that you've come across. Oh yeah. Oprah, she's a superstar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so many reasons, so many reasons. So are there other uh, places or people that you look at because uh, you're a student of a teacher as well as students of human nature? Are there other people or places that you look and watch to really dive deeper into human nature as well, in addition to Oprah? Wow. Uh, well, you know, we, we're constantly reading, constantly picking stuff up. Um, I, you know, I love the human nature stuff. Bob Iger's book, Taken for a Ride. What he did is crazy. And it was a relentless application of empathy wherever he went. One of the cool things about Bob Iger, former CEO of Disney, he was in company after company. They got taken over by other companies. And what happens normally to the executives in a company that got taken over? Not that took over, but got taken over. All the other guys in the company get taken over. They get thrown out. They get shown the door. They don't last. Iger rose to the top every single time his company got taken over. Uh, ABC taken over by Cap Cities. Massive culture shifts to go from ABC to Cap Cities, as I recall. And then being taken over by Disney. Like drastic, drastic culture shifts. But he employed empathy the whole time and rose to the top. Before he became CEO of Disney, he was the number two guy at Disney. They told him he was never going to be CEO. Most of the board told him in advance, yeah, you've been a great number two. You're not going to be CEO. We, got, we need a change. He becomes CEO. They tell him, you, okay, so you're CEO. You're not going to be CEO for that long. 
he's there 15 years. Relentless application of empathy. So I look for people who are applying it in their world successfully. They tend to be quiet and they tend to, over a period of years, have people say, where, where did, how did they become so successful? How did they get so much? Now they have failures too. Yeah, another one that I've looked at real hard is Clive Davis. Um, uh, is a great um, documentary out about him. I think it's called The Soundtrack of Our Lives. His autobiography by the same same name. Like he's got some failures. He got kicked out of a couple of places, but he has got relationships that everyone is envious of. Success that everybody is envious of. How did he get this way? I'm reading this book. He's real good at being able to lay out where the people that were against him are coming from, or the people that disagreed with. It's easy to lay out who the people that are on your side, what they, where they're coming from, what they feel. Look for the guy that can lay out what the opposition is thinking. And you'll find that they have a tendency to have great relationships and their success accumulates year after year after year. Mm. I like that a lot. It kind of reminds me of um, in political campaigns, there's a phrase called opposition research. Basically, you need to argue the other side better than the other side could argue it. So that way you understand both sides and you can actually really show that empathy that you had talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of, the, one of the greatest, one of my, my favorite politician, and I would never have voted for him. I never had the opportunity to, Mario Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo's father it was in New York where Mario Cuomo was governor. Huge fan of how he conducted himself as a, as a politician. Um, I never lived in New York. I lived in New Jersey. If I lived in New York, I don't know whether I'd have voted for him or not because I don't normally vote Democrat, but I'm massive admirer of his ability to articulate where the other side was coming from. I heard him on a talk show one time. And, you know, the Democrats are perceived to tax the middle class hard, perceived. And so the talk show uh, calling guest says, well, I'm from the middle class. And, and, and uh, you know, it's the reason I'm against uh, high tax Democrats. And Cuomo says, you know, I grew up in a middle class family. And when I grew up, that meant that uh, we always had enough money to pay our taxes, but never enough money to take a decent vacation. And... The guy went like, wow, wow. Yeah, you do get where I'm coming from. You just articulated it. And that, that was why he was governor for so long. They would poll the state of New York. The majority of the state of New York is outside of New York City. The majority of the state of New York disagreed with his policies and they put him back in the governor's office term after term after term. He was governor for as long as he felt like it because he demonstrated understanding on a consistent and regular basis. And even the people that disagreed with his policies trusted him because of his empathy. Yeah, thank you for that. So I'm actually curious because we had talked to you, you're, you're a professional negotiator. You're, you're the guru of negotiating. Well, I'm a coach. Let me, let me put, I, I would put a fine point on it myself and my companies were more negotiation coaches got it that's the right. negotiation let me let me, let me correct you're the field jackson because you had used this a few times you said 
and Michael Jordan's, uh, you know, needed Phil Jackson, right? You win the championship, and then you're the Phil Jackson of negotiation, right? So you coach other people to get in, to win in high stakes negotiation. Yeah. I'm curious, as, as someone who does that for a living, and this is also a family business, right? So, yeah. so I'm curious to know within within a family of negotiators, how what's that family dynamic like? Because you guys all have, you know, the skill set to how do you relate to each other, and then also you're known as a, you know, highly skilled negotiator. So when you go places and in a social setting, how do people interact with you? I'm well, you know, great, great questions. Um, negotiations is, is a tool set, mm -hmm. which means it's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It depends mm -hmm. upon what you're using it for. Mm -hmm. Now, we're all collaborative. We all believe in long-term success. We want to build something with people. You know, we want the people that work for our company to be happy, happier than they've been working anywhere else. So yeah, we, we use these skills on each other all the time, constantly. As a matter of fact, we reinforce them because we're on each other's side. We're not trying to, we're not trying to get the advantage over anybody. We're trying to collaboratively create the best deal and stay open to the possibility that we're not 100% right. So as long as you're open to, open to being corrected, open to a better way, we negotiate with each other all the time. I, so go ahead, go ahead. I, I guess in my mind the the reframe and thank you for answering that way in my mind there's some evaluation judgment assessment about the word negotiation because i still yeah. think adversarial but really in yep. your mind is collaboration right right collaboration I, and navigation got it so so that way you know, of course, you know, we use negotiation on everyone. I get it. I I, I, I so appreciate you answering that. Thank you. To be frank, I'm I was a little nervous actually coming to, <laughs> to the podcast with you. Well, namely because you're a world class practitioner, right? So I feel a little like, wow, you know, this guy is a uh, you know way better at watching than Michael expressions and the human, you know, and the interaction and the communication style. So so I, I needed to you know, calm myself down as I'm speaking to you. So well, you're doing a great job and good for you, man, because, <laughs> you know, everybody gets nervous, you know, just go ahead and do it anyway. You've been on a lot of different podcasts. Yes. Right. So some podcasts, you are able to relax yourself and just, you know, have a good time. And some kind of has a little bit more stilted and um, not so good of a podcast. So I'm curious now, from your perspective, what have you seen as good skills to what made you most comfortable as a podcast guest? Well, uh, wow. Um, I can't think of any that I, that I thought were bad. I mean, an awful lot of it is, you know, what's my approach? You know, once we get started, um, what's my approach? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of relentlessly collaborative. You know, I, once, you know, uh, I like being playful. I like I like it being enjoyable. It's really hard for somebody to not drop into that. If, you know, may, maybe if they're, if they're having a tough day, you may hit them with good naturedness more than once. But generally speaking, even if somebody's having a bad day or somebody's on, on the wrong track, 
you hit him with a good-natured response three times. I, I don't know that I can think of anybody that, that, that didn't bring him out of it. So I'm a nice guy. <laughs> That's actually one thing that, that really um, drill in on me because you actually have said at some point to be immovable, immovably nice is one of the... Oh, I like that. Who said that? That sounds you, good. You said that. Because <laughs> <laughs> on this yeah. podcast, yeah, on this podcast, we say keep an open mind, open heart, open hand, but a straight spine, right? So, and then you said like it was being immovably nice. How do you cultivate that? Is that because, right? How, 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 it's just you? practice, man. It's everything else. I mean, and, and you're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes. I mean, don't, you know, again, it's, you know, perfection is a fool's errand. Mm. Um, really, because then you got always going to be disappointed and there, there's no, there's no success model out there that says being always disappointed is good for you. So, you know, just everybody that I know that's getting better, you know, Tony Robbins likes to talk about get two millimeters better. You know, our guy Derek likes to talk about just get one degree better. If you're just looking to get a, a little bit better. I mean, even if you're not going for perfection, but you still got a high standard, then, you know, you're setting yourself up for a feedback loop of disappointment. If you're just looking to get a little bit better, the stuff accumulates fast. I mean, really fast. You get you get you get one degree better every day over the course of a year. You're going to look back at the year and go like, wow, what I'm capable of today is astonishing with what I was capable of a year ago. I mean, I don't even remember how I was thinking a year ago. So it's just, it's, it's really taking it easy on yourself, looking for, you know, be relentless on your improvement. And, you know, if, if, if you got mad today and you weren't immovably nice, mm -hmm. all right, cool. You know, you get another shot tomorrow, you know, rehearse wherever you feel like you went bad in your head recut the videotape that you're running in your head. And, and that's a practice session of doing it right. And then, you know, you get into the day tomorrow. Yeah. You know, one of the, the, the thing that intrigued you to say yes to coming to the podcast, because I mentioned in passing that this podcast is about entrepreneurs getting real about the ups and downs of creating a life, their own design. And I also mentioned that we talk about spirituality and, you know, different types of things. Right. And then you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Never being asked. Those are good values. Yeah. I like those values. Yeah. So could you share with us? Cause I'm sure you get asked a lot about the tactical question about negotiation all the time. I'm curious to know sort of your daily practice around, you know, uh, your own spirituality or, you know, ways to calm your mind, uh, body, heart, and spirit, anything that you could share with us. Yeah, you know, and I'm still experimenting with a lot of different things first thing in the morning. But the two things that that end up early in my in my first hour every morning is, you know, I, I do a, a short gratitude journal. Um, I, I've got a there's a um, some music from um, uh, that I heard at a Tony Robbins seminar quite a few years ago. 
Flowers of the Forest, I think, is is a song. You know, I do I do a short. What is it called? Again? Let, let me see if I, I can tell you. I can tell you real quick because I dial it up every morning for just a few minutes. Sure. When I try to connect with, you know, uh, the larger universe, depending upon what you're on. Yeah, Flowers of the Forest, Michael Mike Oldfield. Um, Thank you. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I, you know, I, I, I try, I try to dial in um, to the larger universe and connect, and with some gratitude, and then a couple of other exercises I'll do through the course of the day. But I am very much a believer in how you get out of the blocks is um, is going to have an impact on the entire day. Now, other times you got to reset. Also, you run out of gas. You know, there's decision fatigue. There's there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you need some resets. You know, my my workouts tend to be in the middle of the afternoon. Your body's physically at a circadian low there. You know, I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to not fall into that abyss of the mid afternoon low. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm I'm trying to start my day out, and and then I, and I work on. You know, I believe it's an abundant world. If your basic core mindset is a, a grateful is to be grateful. Um, that it's an abundant world, and it is. I mean, in point of fact, if the if the universe, if the world wasn't actually on our side, we would have been extinct. Mm. You know, we notice the negativity out there, but you know, we're relatively, you know, we don't got armor, we don't got spikes, you know, we ain't got saber tooth talons or claws or any of that stuff. If the universe wasn't basically on our side, we wouldn't be here at all. So, and then there, there are other ways to count your blessings. I mean, if, you, if, you're in the, if you woke up within 10 feet of running water and no shortage of people on this planet, many of whom I've dealt with in my past life, it didn't wake up within 10 feet of running water. I mean, you, 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 and you, you look at the data on the globe. If you woke up and you could walk over and get a drink of water, without having to get dressed and go outside. You started the day better off than most of the world. Mm, I appreciate so certain that. realizations like that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, tell us a little bit, I, I saw this on the, with the Lance Armstrong interview. So, you know, you normally don't share this with others. So tell us a little bit more about Project 120 and also what 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 are you, what have you learned since the time that you talked to Lance to now? What are yeah. the new experiments you're running? Yeah, and by the way, Lance Armstrong's a great guy. I mean, I like Lance Armstrong a lot. And my first test on him, because I ended up next to him by accident. And I got a mutual, we got a mutual friend. You, you may even know Jeff Spencer. He's a, he's a member of the same group we're a member of in, in LA. Jeff is the definition of good people. And he talked about working with Lance. So I figure, oh, I'm, I'm going to figure this out real quick. I said, hey, does the name Jeff Spencer mean anything to you? And he goes, he goes, hey, yeah, Jeff Spencer. He's, he's a great guy. So I'm like, all right, so cool. We can talk. So I told Lance about Project 120. And, you know, when I turned 60, I said, you know, I've, I've hit 30 for the second time. I want to hit 34 times. <laughs> so that ends up to be 120, you know, get, get to 64 times or uh, 34 times. 
actually i've expanded it out even further now oh no kidding yeah because you know the medical breakthroughs these days are crazy i mean if, if you're keeping up on health data at all from a variety of sources you know five years ago they said all we got to do is live another 20 years and we're probably going to get to the other side we're going to clear 100 with no trouble that they expect most of the medical problems that we face today to be solved sometime in the next 20 to 30 years. Everything that we're aware of now, that is gonna be new stuff. And that was five years ago. The, st the stuff that they're coming up with almost daily is astonishing. And there are, there are a lot of sources out there, like fasting. Who'd have thought that you could consume the exact same amount of calories? Don't change your your, the calories, the number of calories you consume or even what they are, don't change them at all. Just change the gaps between your meals and it's going to have a massive impact on your health. Stuff like that. So uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I was thinking about the kind of changes that have occurred over the last hundred years. And then I thought, well, what are the next hundred going to bring? And I thought, why shouldn't I be there to see them? So I'm at 163 now. I'm going after 163. 163. All right. It's 163. I love it. So uh, if people are curious to know what Chris Va uh, Chris Voss's point of view uh, or or where who he studies, is there any books around intermediate fasting that you will direct people to? Well, uh, Mindy Peltz is one of the PELZ is one of the people I, I got on Instagram that I'm, I'm looking at. She's got a lot of data out there, a lot of information. Um, and there's several others that I, that I pick up their daily feeds off on Instagram. I can't tell you off the top of the head who they are. But as soon as that's the nice thing about Instagram, it's going to funnel all this stuff at you. But by, by the way, I'm at the FBI negotiator on Instagram. <laughs> But as soon, as soon as you start looking for that stuff, Rhonda Patrick found my fitness. She's got a massive amount of, of health data. Rhonda Patrick is a data freak. So when you read her stuff, she's got a PhD herself, but she, she researches, something comes out of her mouth. It is well-researched. So her stuff is really good. And you start looking at people like Mindy Peltz and Rhonda Patrick, and then, you know, the good thing about social media, they're going to, they're going to launch similar stuff at you. And then you can, you can pick and choose and get data from a variety of sources. I want to read our, I want to read a passage from your book as a way to drive home why you're so passionate about negotiation. And I think it's important that people hear this. You said in the book, negotiation is the heart of collaboration. Here's what makes conflicts potentially meaningful and productive for all parties. It can change your life. It has, it had changed mine. I always thought of myself as a regular guy, hardworking and willing to learn. Yes, but not particularly talented. And I've always felt that life holds amazing possibilities in my much younger days. I just didn't know how to unlock these possibilities. But with the skills I've learned, I found myself doing extraordinary things and watching the people that I've taught achieve truly life-changing results. When I use what I've learned over the last 30 years, I know I actually have the power to change the course of where my life is going and to help others do that as well. 30 years ago, I felt like that could be done. I didn't know how. Now I do. Here's how. 
So I so appreciate you, Chris, for just packaging and, and put every, your heart and soul into this book, a beautiful book, very practical, full of wisdom. And from our interaction, I've always felt like, wow, Chris is doing it. You know, he's living the life. He's being himself. And you've been doing this for your first YouTube video was 11 years ago, right? So overnight success, 11 <laughs> years yeah. ago. Then until yeah. now, masterclass.com, top instructor, million copies sold, you know, in the book. And I, so I want to encourage everyone who's watching, just go out and get the book, watch the masterclass.com uh, course, and then practice what Chris is, was sharing. Because this, this, to me, a fundamental skill of what it means to be a human being to ultimately collaborate and communicate with each other. Thank you for just being here and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's been a, it's been a very enjoyable conversation.